Hi, and welcome to Embody This One, a series of podcasts devoted to exploring the nature of truth and our true nature. We'll take a look at how to live and embody our spiritual seeing in a very real way. My name is Dr. Liesl Jeannie. So for most of us, if I ask, who are you? There would be a very quick answer that comes. You know, I am the one who has this name. <laughs> and you might even give a, a list of roles that you play in life. I'm a woman or I'm a man. So this identification arose. It has not always been there. It has not been part of your entire life. The idea I, this idea in itself is part of our conditioning. I who is separate from you. I who then starts developing ideas about myself, about the other, about the nature of reality, about the world itself. So where does this I come from? Does this I objectively exist? What is that I that I am referring to? Yeah. Interesting, right? So, from very young, we have an identification with a particular body. And for many people, if I ask them to localize, to find the eye, where is the eye? They will point to the body and say, The eye is in here, it's in here. This is me, right? But I, I want to invite you to just right now, I mean, you can do it while you're drinking your chai. Just check and see if you can find that eye. Just see. Is it inside the body? But just let's for a moment just explore. So there is an I who sees. Is it the same I or two different eyes? So which I is the one that notices that there are these other two eyes? So this is seen, right? If I can see my hand. There must be a seer seeing the hand. Yeah. 
So you're noticing these two eyes. Who is the one who sees that? So, you know, I'm not really asking for, for an intellectual activity. I'm asking you to check. Because we assume there's an assumption that there is an I. And it gets reinforced by our parents. Because they call us you. Right? <laughs> so there is an assumption that we are somehow a separate I. That is relating to others who are some kind of separate you. For me this was a beautiful discovery. That I am before the idea of I yeah. arose. That something is before the mind. So when you say conscious or consciousness or awareness. Yeah. So this awareness that is not identified as an individual with certain sets of conditionings, traumas, nervous system, etc., etc., etc. This one is real. This is not some imagined theoretical spiritual idea. This is real. And this exists and functions very beautifully in the world without the idea of I. So, consciousness and awareness is playing. We can say God is playing as life itself. And this is happening beautifully without an individual I claiming to be me. Now this is surrender. When you realize the idea of you, the identity of I is not required in order for life to function beautifully. And this can either be the source of the greatest joy <laughs> or it can create a great depression. But in seeing this, in deeply seeing this, the surrender is immediate. And then there is nothing to do. Because there is no one who could do anything. Life itself moves. You don't need to be in charge. And when I talk to the you here, I'm talking to the mind, <laughs> the ego, ego mind. Ego mind does not need to be in charge. Yeah. Even the spiritual mind. Even the <laughs> spiritual mind. And what a rest, you know. Most of us are exhausted from the thoughts, the noise in the attic. You know, it's like having very noisy neighbors on the top story always fighting, throwing things at one another, yeah? yeah? Mm. Noisy neighbors up in the top story. 
So when these noisy neighbors finally give up the fight, when the noisy neighbors finally just surrender and rest, there is such a beautiful peace that arises, right? <laughs> such a fantastic peace that arises. When the identification moves and I am no longer identified with my body-mind system and I know that I have a body-mind system as opposed to I am. Right? I am not this body. I have body. Right? When this happens and I can see I'm also not these thoughts. This is not who I am. Suddenly, a huge possibility opens where we're able to work. Now I'm going to use dirty words work on ourselves. <laughs> because we are no longer identified with the game. I'm not hooked into the game because that is not who I am. And suddenly I can see the game. Oh my God, look at what I'm doing. Oh. So it actually becomes possible in the light of true identity. This opens the space to work on the level of personality, if you were to want to, right? Because people get stuck here. They say, okay, but if, you know, if I'm just, if I realize that I am the great awareness, right, then I'm going to be shitty to everybody in my life. No, it doesn't work like that. When you realize who you truly are, you're no longer identified with a shittiness and it's very easy to shift because that's not who you are. And it's so funny because these old patterns, right? The games of a mind, it, they're just compelling. They pull us into a kind of a, you know, a loop. Especially in relationships. Hmm? What a freedom, right? Hmm. So here is the paradox. This is the truth. You have a body and mind, ego mind structure. The paradoxical side is when I talk about embodiment. Because it's very easy when you see who you truly are to start a kind of a floating existence, you know, disembodied. Mm -hmm. Every time I go into mis meditation, I dissociate. Yeah. It's one of the reasons, unfortunately, that meditators have learned how to escape reality by dissociating mm -hmm. into another place. Not all meditators, right? And it's also why for some people meditation can be dangerous along the path because it becomes an escape route 
rather than a root of deeply embodied understanding. Yeah. So we have the seeing and then we come back and hear, oh wow, oh my God, here is a body. Hmm? Coming back, grounding, noticing the impact of gravity on our body. <sighs> noticing that the body brings us into here, into this moment, into the now. We're no longer at the mercy of the mind. And here in the body, things arise. A lot of, a lot of conditioning happens from before you are born, right? Through those first years of childhood. And this process of conditioning keeps very strongly moving until we seven. And then after that it continues. But our strongest level, layers of conditioning is from when we are in our mommy's bellies up to the age of seven. And then there's another little gap when we are 12, where somehow the neuroplasticity is very, uh, it's very pliable. Yeah. So somehow things can really change in, in terms of the personality structure. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get pissed off with someone else, what are you pissed off with? Is there a person in there that you can be angry at? But ultimately, what you're getting angry at is that person's conditioning, which has got fuck all to do with them. It's, it's their conditioning that you are getting angry with. I mean, all of you at some point in your life, maybe once, got upset with somebody, right? So in that moment of being upset, What are you upset about? Did we choose our conditioning? This is interesting, right? It's a very interesting question. Because I can say yes, we chose. We chose who our parents will be, where in the world we'll be born, whether those parents would be rich or poor. We chose the kind of conditioning that we'll have throughout our life. Our primary life experiences, those traumas and events that shape our nervous system and impact the way we relate in the world. All of that. The next question is, you as who? Because most people, when they find out about personal responsibility, think that I, the personality, chose. <laughs> it's not like that. You, the personality, is completely not in control. Where is that choice? The I that chooses is awareness.
consciousness, God. And even when I say God, your mind has a picture. It's even before any conception of what that is. That is where the choice is made. We cannot blame anybody for what they choose in life. How can we blame somebody? Who are you blaming? You're blaming a personality for being the way they are? How, how, how is it possible to blame anybody? So is this a get out of jail free card or an excuse for you to walk up and down the street and kick puppies? No. Because if everything and anything is possible, if I can be however, I may as well be kind. And this, when we too much here in the top chakras, it's a complete denial of, you know, the beauty of our lower chakras and what they are, our fantastic, juicy sense of sexuality, our ability to lay claim and say, this is mine, space chakra, right? Going into the joy, the pleasure of the second chakra, the joy of receiving, receiving touch, tasting, eating delicious food, the joy of giving and receiving, all of this second chakra, this is the energy, yeah? the water of the second chakra. Then we go here into this fire in the solar plexus, Manipura. Right? So Manipura burns with a sense of yes, no, right? When we talk about the physiology, what you do by focusing only on the top chakras is you deny the energy of the earth. I talk about grounding, right? Grounding also means I can draw energy through the earth into my system. Yeah? There is such power in this earth energy. Yet, it, this is not a path of denial. Is a path where everything is welcome. So I can say rest in beingness. Rest in isness. Now the reason this is difficult is when we rest in beingness and in isness, we actually bring ourselves into the heart and the body. And here in the body, this whatever unresolved stuff is floating around is going to get activated, right? But this, to come back into the body with an attitude of welcoming. So whatever arises here is welcome. Just come back here, this body. So this is one thing that if you want a practice, come back into the heart, into the body, bring your attention back. If you want more practices, I can give you more, I can give you lots, but a second practice, right, would be self-inquiry, that you ask, who am I? 
and just explore this question. So Ramana Maharshi said, this question, self-inquiry, is enough to take you home. Who am I? This one will take you all the way home. And then the third thing to maybe start exploring is how do I live my life as a meditation? Without setting aside time to meditate. How, how does drinking water, how is this a meditation? How is looking at Ganga a meditation? Doing my dishes, having my shower. Meditation is not something separate to your life. Your entire life can be meditative. So rubbing your hands together, just warming them up deliciously. Just putting one hand on each eye. <sighs> May our seeing be true seeing. May we see through and past the veils of our projections. Asking for blessings for our eyes. Good. You can open your eyes. Ah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining. If you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram as embodythisone. The one is the number one. See you next time.